as soon as I open it, roaches. To where when I walk in the house, <laughs> did you scream? Hold, <laughs> I don't know my life. Brother. Welcome back to Econics Talks, guys. When I pop up. Everybody gonna be like, man, overnight success. Lifestyle topics, entrepreneurship, and investing. Are you serious about this? Because if you are, then I'm willing to back the business. We want to inform you, educate you, and empower you so that you can maximize your life. Let's get started. Welcome back to another episode of Econics Talks. Today we have Tosin Oduwale. Did I pronounce that right? Oduwale. So, anyways, um, I want to I want to invite Tosin and just and just you know tell you guys I have a dynamic entrepreneur on the scene today. Um, and I think that you know I just want to dive like right into it. So, first of all, he's written a book called Focus on the Fix. Second, he is an entrepreneur. He's a real estate fund manager for BAP United. Correct. Right, yes. And also he's, he's actually done a TEDx or a TED talk. So he's a TED talk speaker. So I definitely wanted to dive into all of those things, but where I'm going to start with Tosin, I want to start at, um, you know, how did you get into, you know, entrepreneurship? Like, can you talk about or speak to, um, your journey into that realm? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I guess it kind of starts with, um, how I was raised in my household so my parents um, are immigrants. They came from Nigeria. My dad came here when he was 17. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my grandfather wanted to put him in a design school so that he could be an architect. So he came here when he was 17. Um, my mom came, I believe she was around 22. Okay. And so um, they knew each other from back home in Nigeria. I believe my mom was my dad's best friend's younger sister. So he violated guy code. In all kinds of ways. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, so when they came here, you know, their main thing was to just get, get into some type of school, get into college. But um, they always wanted to start a business. So my dad uh, yeah, came in when he was 17. By the time he was 25, he had bought like 207 units. And so, what? Yeah, at 25 years old. The, the 90s was a different time. Yeah, yeah, you're right about that. It was a different time. It it wasn't 207 units. Yes. Hold up, hold up. We gotta we gotta talk about that because people don't really understand what that means. So, first of all, that means your pops was 25. So let me put this in perspective for y'all. The average person who goes to college and they're and with them being 25, I'm just speaking in general terms here. That Uh means they're recently graduated from college. So you graduate college like 22. And then you're four years after that. So you're about, you know, you're just starting your career. So you really ain't making a lot of money. You know, you don't have a lot of experience. And your pops was able to get 207 units. He was actually still in school when I was a kid and they had that. He was actually still in grad school. Because I remember he used to take me and my brothers to like these little like uh, barbecues that they would have on campus at uh, Washington University in St. Louis. Okay, So he was still in school. And so, you know, as a kid, you're not really aware of this thing that your parents have built. You're not really aware. You're just being a kid. But uh, (laughs) I I do remember my mom. My mom used to handle the property management for all of them. It was self-managed. Wow. So now y'all kept all the money in house. Yeah. Yeah. So now as I get older, it makes sense why she was always bringing me with her to go cut the grass at these places where we don't live. And I would hate to go there. And she's like, 
yeah, we got to go cut grass. And I'm like, look, why am I doing what? this? I don't even live in this house. Yeah, he's like, who wouldn't even live here? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then uh, I remember a couple times where she would send me to knock on certain doors and then they would give me an envelope. And sometimes they wouldn't answer. Sometimes they would. And I just kept thinking, like, why, why would she be sending me into this strange building to knock on somebody else's door? Like, I just thought there was something wrong with it. But now in hindsight, that was a tenant. That was our tenant. Right. You know? All right. It made and sense so, um, as you got a little bit older. Correct. So um, <clears throat> I started to realize that my, my dad was an entrepreneur because he had also bought an office building. Okay. Um, on a street called Delmar, which was a very... Well, it still is. It was a very popular street in St. Louis for, like, bars and... It was like a record store there before tattoo shops and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, it was actually close to the school he went to. So he bought an office building there and he started uh, a technology company. Okay. So every now and then, like he'd bring me to his office and I, I'd just see him working. It was just him and one of his friends or some, or a coworker or somebody he hired or whatever. It was never a packed office. Yeah. Um, but then that, that, that's when I realized, okay, my, my dad doesn't like go clock in and work somewhere. Like he, he, he has a business. And so um, that was kind of like my introduction. So coming in, I just always thought like at, at that time, I wanted to be like my dad. Yeah. So when he was an architect, I wanted to be an architect. And then when he started getting into IT and stuff, I'm like, okay, now I want to be a computer programmer. And it was, I was kind of just like anything that my parents did, I wanted to do. Right. Uh, and so my mom, she uh, was saving up money to open up a clothing store. And so she would clean office buildings at night and she would take me with her and we'd be cleaning these office buildings. And, you know, sometimes in these office buildings, you know, like they have like the snack area and they'd have like Skittles. I used to yeah. Skittles. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. fair game. Yeah. I'm like, if you're going to take me at 12 at night, 1 a.m. in the morning, we clean. Yeah, you about office. to have fun. You got to do something. I'm coming back with the goods. <laughs> you know, Cheer the bag, baby. <laughs> yep. So, uh, so she ended up opening a clothing store called Contemporary African Fashions on Olive Boulevard in St. Louis, Missouri. And it was basically where she would sew clothing for, she would sew African clothing, like um, our, our tribe's style. And she'd do it for like people's weddings, birthdays, sometimes like- What the, tribe are you from? Yoruba. Okay. Yeah. So like sometimes there would be, you know, white folks who want to have a, a special, unique kind of bar mitzvah where they wear African clothes. What? I swear to you. I swear to you. Wait, wait. So like a Jewish bar mitzvah wearing like African attire, like the whole yeah. time she like with. Yeah. The forward thinking Jews that say, you know, let's embrace the world. Let's have our bar mitzvah in, in African clothing. Hey. And so she would do things like that. And so I, that, I used to see her in real time, meeting clients, figuring out what they want, taking their measurements, and then I'd watch her sew the clothes up. Yeah. So growing up, they was just seeing my parents create income in the different ways, whether it was real estate, whether it was sewing clothes, uh, stuff like that, or if it was, you know, how my mom was cleaning the office buildings and things. And so it was always kind of just watching them say, okay, we need this, how do we go and get it? Because you got to understand in the nineties, being African in America is not as cool as it is now. You know, now we have all these artists, we got Burner Boy, Kid, we have Afro beats. Everybody's embracing. There's like a lot more discrimination. You know, my dad, my dad um, was an immigrant as well. He's from the Caribbean. Um, 
So like him having an accent, like people yep. would, my dad had a thick accent. So I'm yep. pretty sure your parents coming, you know, directly from Nigeria had a thick accent. And so my dad would have trouble with um, people understanding him at times. So it would be, it would be a situation like something is something as simple as ordering in the McDonald's line and he would, you know, order something. They'd be like, huh, can you repeat that? And he would just look back and be like, yo, like order this for me, bro. Like, and, <laughs> and I'd have to order it for him just because they, obviously I speak, I have a different dialect. So, and they would understand me. So it was, <laughs> but dealing with parents with, with accents and like you said, like it was a different time. It was definitely a different time. It wasn't really, you know, like cultures being accepted. So mm-hmm. having the name that I have, you know, Owutosin, Olayemi, Oduole, and, you know, both my parents, I mean, I, my mom still has her accent. She's been here all, almost 40 years. Sounds like she just came from Nigeria yesterday. Yeah. And I mean, you know, some people retain that. You know, some people, yeah, yeah. They, they maintain or retain their accent. My dad never lost his accent. Like, he just, it was just, that's who he was. So yeah, yeah, it, doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't go away. It's not something you can just turn on. It. Well, it is actually something you can turn on and off if you look at some of these actors. True. I don't know how they do it. But, you know, the average person ain't on that. <laughs> um, my next question is I feel you. Um, my next question is so thank and thank you for that. So as you started to grow and you started to see that that example that your parents set for you, what what was like the transition between okay, I'm watching them now, I want to actually do what they're doing. So that was probably when I was about twelve or thirteen. So my mom, even though we were somewhat well off for a little while, because that did kind of change, my mom had these rules as far, you know, they were very, very careful with how they spent their money. Mm -hmm. And so my mom, you know, I had five brothers who were six boys. So my mom would say, okay, you know, you can only have one pair of shoes per year. So she would only buy us one pair of shoes per year. Wow. Okay. So we would go to the store or whatever. If I got some figas, or if I got some Nike Cortez, or if I got whatever, that's got to last me until the next school year. Mm-hmm. And with me, I used to play, I used to be outside all the time. So I used to like, run through them. So my shoes getting busted up. You're a and kid. Then, yeah. <laughs> and then one time, my older cousin, man, he was staying with us for a few months. I, no, I think he was staying with us for his senior year of high school. And he used to make fun of my shoes and say that my shoes were talking because the soles had opened up. The mugs was out here doing flappy. Yeah. And he had then, the flap yeah. going. <laughs> he would do this thing to where he would take my shoe like he was a ventriloquist and start like mouthing and talking and shit. Just yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, man, this is this not cool. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to buy my own shoes. Shoes back then was like 50 bucks between 50 and $75 or whatever. So what I did was we had, we had a rake. And so, um, and we had a lot of old people in our neighborhood. So I'll take that rake, rake, I'll go to the old people's houses and say, hey, I'll rake your front and back lawn for $15. I knew they couldn't do it because they were elderly people that lived alone. Right. So I would only go to the people on the, on the, on the block that I knew like, oh. So you found and, a deficiency in the market. He was like, yeah. they need me. And then you're a kid, you're 13. Right, right. they're going to say, yeah. They're not going to tell you, you know, like, you right. know, they see you trying to do something with your life. So, you know, they're going to they look out. So, yeah, so I just kind of exploited that little loophole in the market. And, um, you know, I bought my first pair of shoes that I bought with my own money, which were some Converse Chuck Taylors. Okay. Okay. You went on the low end. You went on the low end. But, yeah, that's, that's, hey, that's solid. 
Hey, it was like $29. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you made it happen. You cut two lawns and you were straight. Straight. So that was what kind of like opened us. Like, yeah, I just bought my my first pair of shoes by myself. You have to ask my mom. My mom doesn't even know. And I'm like, huh. And so I just started doing that with raking leaves, with shoveling snow, with cutting grass. And I was doing this up until I was about maybe 14. And it just got to the point to where... I was able, I, I spent that time just learning that I can do for self, that I can buy my own stuff. Like right. that was the last time, even as an adult, that's the last time my mom ever bought me clothes, bought me shoes, and even bought me food. Wow. I, 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 I later moved out of my parents' house when I was like 14. What? Yeah. It's a long, long story. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I haven't lived with my parents since 1999. Wow. Okay. You know, so that was kind of how it started as far as me being able to actualize. But it was really just all because what I saw them doing. I had never, never really seen my parents where I've never seen my dad work a job ever. Uh, I've seen my mom work a job once or twice. That's awesome. You know, it's stuff like that, that I, I wish I was exposed to at a younger age because I didn't know about entrepreneurship back then. You know, even though my dad owned a car business, like I didn't, he didn't, he didn't expose me to that, you know? So I, I didn't necessarily get that until later when I was able to like comprehend everything. Yeah, yeah. Um. So what led to you, obviously, you know, your dad had a background in real estate. So how did that part of it lead to you becoming a real estate fund manager? Like, how does that even work? So it was actually, so my dad was the real estate guy in the family, but I actually picked it up from my mother. Okay. So fast forward. So I went, I went to a boarding school. I went to boarding school overseas. I was gone for like five and a half years. Uh, when I came back. So when they really say like, you know, Nigerian culture is so funny in, in, yeah. in, a, in a beautiful way. How obviously, mm-hmm. you, I know you, I know you probably on Instagram and all that stuff. You see all the little funny videos about how Nigerian parents be like, oh, I'm going to ship you off and ship you back home. Um, so you went to boarding school for five years. Yeah, so it was so they sent me to Europe first. And then when I was in Europe, that school situation didn't work out. They said, okay, we sent you to Africa. Right. So Africa. They sent you back. They sent you back to Nigeria? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dang. Okay. I mean, it sounds like you were just trying to find yourself at that age. You 14. it, it 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 wasn't bad, a big misconception. So every country has like their issues and their problems and stuff. But like, Going back to Nigeria was what really actually like helped me find like my entrepreneurial spirit. And then you have a lot of freedom to really be yourself because the rules, the regulations that it's way more different. Oh my gosh. When I when I went to Ghana and people don't understand when you leave the country and you experience another culture, yeah. You you really do realize like people say like all the time, oh, I want to create the black Mecca in America. I'm like, bruh, that already exists. You just you right. never oh I want a Wakanda. I'm like, just go to go to a country in Africa, That's go to Jamaica, true. go to the Bahamas. Yeah. Like these places are real. Yeah. They just don't really exist in America because we are the minority, but there are places where black folks are the majority of people and cultures are so different. So I definitely like when I went to Ghana and you talk about it being wide open, 
I was truly able to understand the word developing country because you literally see skyscrapers and like beautiful, beautiful buildings, but then you on dirt roads, you know? So it made sense like, okay, like, oh, they have this, but they're not to a point where they have an interstate where everybody can just travel around the city and be, and make it easy. So yeah, it isn't as strong yet, but it's getting there. It's right, right, right. And that's why it's a developing country. They're building it. So um, to hear you say that. For a to develop. It takes about one generation. Yep, so. yep, yep. So to hear you say that and you went back home and the rules being just so relaxed, there's not as many regulations and people don't understand, but that's why a lot of these major corporations house their headquarters in foreign countries because of the regulations, because it's cheaper, because it's easier. Not saying it's right or wrong, but at the end of the day, that's a reason why they do it. Correct. I'll let you, my bad. I'll let you go. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> you, you still, you still talk about the real estate fund management. No, so cool. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I like asking certain things. It's allowing me to kind of go deeper into certain things. Yeah. 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 You know, so, so yeah, I went out there to finish high school and, uh, you know, I was in boarding school there for about four and a half to five years that I was in Africa. And one thing that I kind of noticed later on is that the stuff that we used to talk about and the stuff we used to like worry about in high school there is different from here. Like, like how, or what, like what specifically? So I left America. I was a very young student. So I was a freshman in high school when I was 13. Okay. And so when I was a freshman in high school, the things that we carried, we worried about was like who had the freshest clothes, you know what I'm saying? If you had the new sneakers, you know, who did something cool on the football team, if he was on the football team, just like stuff like that, music, et cetera. In Nigeria, we used to have long, hour-long debates in the dorm talking about which Nigerian businessman has like the biggest company or the biggest business or how they built it. And of course we didn't know it was just all speculation. And yeah, just, yeah, all yeah. This, the conversation was being had. Yeah. But like, this is the stuff that we would talk about on a regular basis, hours on end mm-hmm. uh, to the point to where certain books started circulating around the dorm. And so okay. the rich dad, poor dad book was keep in mind, this is night. This is 2002. Okay. And so my a rich dad, um, poor dad isn't like it ain't that what it is now. Like exactly, everybody yeah. should every, a lot of people know about rich dad poor dad. Yeah, then no nobody knew what a rich dad poor dad book. I didn't even know the book was even around this long. Right. So I got it in like 2003, I think. 2004 was my last year of high school of which I didn't really even go because my past my SATs I got an acceptance letter into a college and I hadn't even graduated from high school yet. I didn't even oh, wow. know. I didn't even know that anybody even put in an application for, for, for me to college yet. And so I get to school that morning and the, uh, the head administrator brings me into our office. I think I'm in trouble. Cause I used, I used to get into a lot of shit. I'm thinking I'm in trouble. Yeah. And I'm like, what did I do? And she's like, did you do something? And I'm like, nah, not, <laughs> not today. <laughs> not today. <laughs> and then she's, like, yeah, we just wanted to tell you, um, you got this letter from Southern Illinois, you got accepted into college. And I'm like, what? I haven't even graduated here yet. Right. <laughs> so anyway, so being that I'm thinking, yo, I got accepted to college anymore. I'm not going to class anymore. Why? Right. What's the point? You already got in. So you already know your next step. Yeah. So the last three months of senior year, I didn't go to class at all. I just stayed in the dorms and I started reading 
the rich dad books. And I went through the entire, the rich dad, poor dad, the Caskell uh, quadrant. Like it was like four of them went through all of them. And I read some other stuff that was on like mergers and ac- acquisitions and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then when I came back to America, this, this was August, 2005. Um, I went right into college, right into the dorms two weeks later. So I came back with all this energy of, yo, I'm gonna start a business. I'm gonna, you know, buy real estate. I'm gonna do all this stuff. I'm like, I just came back with so much energy and so much like motivation to like move forward because I've been in Africa for five years. I felt like I missed out uh, on my proms. I missed out on my teenage years of just driving around the city with my friends. Like I I felt like I missed out on so much in that whatever that I was going to do it like 10 X when I came back. And so, um, so yeah, I didn't get into real estate immediately. I actually started buying and selling things on eBay. So back then, I, I, I can say that I was probably one of the first wave of people that was actually had a business buying and selling things on eBay. E-commerce. In 2005. Wow. So I'm not sure when it became super popular. Yeah, 05 was that. That was a really early in the game for 05 because yeah, I mean, Facebook really had just started to... Yeah, I think Facebook, I was on. Facebook, well, I, yeah, I, I was on Facebook when you had to have a college uh, email to be on. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. I remember that. Year old. Yeah, it was like a year yeah. old. Yeah, and so yeah, PayPal was like four years old or something. You know, PayPal and eBay had just merged or something like that. And so, um, so yeah, you know, I started doing that. I would buy uh, jewelry off of a website that's called Property Room. Property mm-hmm. Room. It's like a, a site where police where they auction off stuff that they seized that nobody claimed. Okay. Um, I think it's still a website. Propertyroom.com is still a website. And so I would buy like diamond rings off of there for super cheap and then resell them on eBay for something closer to my market value. Wow. And so that was like my, you know, freshman year of college, uh, you know, in- endeavors. Hustle. So I started working for my mom. My mom had started a, um, uh, an adult nursing home for mentally challenged adults mm-hmm. and she needed some help. So she hired me to be like the assistant manager. So at that same time, she was taking the money that she was making from that uh, day center and she was buying real estate. She was buying houses that were in the hood that were around the corner from the spot. She was buying stuff from the city. One day we were in the car, we were riding down the street and we passed the house. And she's like, I, I just bought that. And I was like, oh, how much? And she does this. And I'm like, what, what do you mean to like 200,000? She was like, no. And I'm like, 2000 And she said, yeah. And I'm like, how did you get that for $2,000? Right. <laughs> so, <clears throat> and so I think she bought it from the city. The city was having some type of sale. They were selling like auction or something. Yeah. They were selling off stuff that they didn't want, that maybe people didn't pay property tax on or something. Mm-hmm. And bought it for 2000 And she bought like five or six houses that way in the same area. Yeah. She would fix them up a little bit, just enough to get the um, certificate of occupancy. She fixed them up to market value. Correct. Yeah. And, and we, I want to put a pin in that because this is more of an educational piece. So what he's talking about is, you know, a lot of people don't know this you know, or some people you might. But in the city or in cities like the a lot of times you have properties in foreclosure. Um, you'll have a lot of those things where, you know, you can get those properties for cheap as long as you have cash on hand to buy them and then you fix them up. And what I was saying, she fixed them up essentially to code. Um, what that means is she, for example, let's say the houses in that area were being resold for like 150,000, but she only bought it for two. Well, that means she may have only needed to put $10,000 worth of 
um, improvements into that home, whatever it needed. And that got it up to the point where it could be sold for 150. So, you know, when you're, you know, talking about the whole real estate thing, um, it, it wouldn't make sense for her to put porcelain this or, you know, marble floors or none like that. Cause then you out, you, you, it becomes an outlier and nobody's going to buy that house in that neighborhood. So anyway, go ahead. I'm, I'm listening. I just want to make sure we talk about that. Yeah. That's important because people, people actually on, I know people are going to listen to this because of your expertise in managing a farm. So I'm, I'm going to keep that in mind so I can explain. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. So, you know, with her, she would never sell them though. What she would do is she'd rent them out to elderly section eight tenants. And so she'd rent them out for like 600 a month, 800 a month. So within like probably about a year, she had like five or six houses in the same neighborhood. They were all maybe, maybe a quarter mile apart and uh, she'd be renting them out. But after buying them and fixing them up, she was never really into them more than like $15,000. So, you know, after a year, year and a half, you know, she's got all her money back and now it's just cash flowing from the rent. So it was me seeing her do that. that I told her, I was like, yo, mom, like, I don't want to work for you anymore. <laughs> I was like, I don't think I want to work for you anymore. Like, you know, you, you've been paying me good. You've been paying me well. Cool. But, you know, I think I'm, I really want to get into real estate, like really, really get into real estate. Mm-hmm. And so that was how, you know, I kind of stopped working for her and then started kind of figure out, okay, what do I have to do? Like, do I go the real estate agent route? Because at that time I didn't have any money. Well, I had like a few thousand dollars. Right. Um, didn't have any credit. Didn't have enough to just buy property. Yeah. I didn't have any credit. Um, I had only filed, I think that this was the first time I, I had ever even filed taxes. So I only had one year of tax returns. Right. So it was kind of like, okay, how am I going to do this? So just like a lot of people do, you know, at that time, you know, you'd see those infomercials where you could buy, uh, so buy houses, penny on the dollar, stuff like that. I bought a whole bunch of those programs with the CDs, the uh, CD-ROMs and stuff. And trying to learn. Yeah. And, and the textbooks that's this fat. And I was just like, man, who's going to read this? I'm not, I, was, I just feel like they just got me for a hundred bucks. Right. And so like after a couple of those things, I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to actually have to just like jump in this thing mm-hmm. to figure out like how to do it because this route's not going. Maybe it was a little bit of pride. I didn't want to ask my parents because I wanted to show them that I could do it on my own. That I could figure it out on my own. Mm-hmm. You know, cause like my mom and you know, I love her for this. She's supposed to do this as a mother, but she's always trying. She's always trying to help, always trying to give you opportunities, always trying to make it easier for you than it should be. Yeah. I'm saying she's always like, I got you. I got you. I got you. Like one, that's what moms do Two, As a parent, you want to give your children that option to make it easier. That's why she works so hard. Correct. Easier, you know, for you. For sure. I I definitely understood it, you know, but it was just like at this point in my life, you know, I'm 20, 23 now. And it's like, okay, mom, like I I gotta, I gotta, I gotta figure out how to stand on my own. It's almost crippling. It's like, dang, like, let me stand on my own two feet. I can't. <laughs> so um so what I did was I ended up moving from St. Louis and I moved to New Jersey cuz my my dad was out there. My dad had moved out to New Jersey in the 90s when him and my mom split. Okay. And, you know, he wasn't in real estate anymore. He was in IT. And oh. he had a tech company that was doing very well. Uh he had some really huge clients, you know, Lehman Brothers before they went under, Bank of America. So he was doing his thing in tech. And kind of just left real estate alone because tech was just being, it was just way better for him. Well, that was, that was, that still is, but tech in the 90s, 
early 2000s, that's when, you know, CDs, MP3 players, mm-hmm. uh, iPods, and then we would transition to iPhones, so all of that, that whole tech right. book. So he was in the right industry. Yeah, so his main niche was software. You know, they were software developers. Yeah. So I felt, okay, you know, my dad's not in real estate anymore. I can feel like I'm doing this on my own. He's not going to get in my way. He's so busy with what he's doing. You know, uh, I was still finishing college as well. So I still had college, still had classes full full time. But that's when I started studying real estate, like for real. That's when I started. Did you end up going to Southern Illinois? Huh? Did you end up going to Southern Illinois? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went there for my freshman year of college and I transferred to Kane University and I finished at Kane. Okay. Okay. Union, New Jersey. Okay. Yeah. And so um, what I started doing was just calling up lenders, calling up banks and asking them, hey, what's the guidelines for getting a mortgage? So this is after the crash happened. So we're like two years into the crash. So the, the country's still kind of trying to bounce back from everything that, that happened. But the one thing I saw from the crash is that around the time when I was looking at properties and trying to buy stuff, everything was cheap. Right. Everything was cheap. Everything was cheap. So it, I was like, oh, my God. You know, there, there was new construction homes that were like four years old. They were going for 85 grand. That were four bedroom, three bathroom, two car garage, brand new houses, 85,000. I was like, huh, it's kind of weird. Yeah. And so, and so, so I started talking to lenders. And now you got how those same houses go for like 310. Oh, yeah. Oh, like, yeah. Now, man, it's crazy. The yeah. It came back. <laughs> you know, so, um, and then I started putting ads out on Craigslist for uh, investors basically saying, hey, investors, I can help you guys find deals because I didn't really have any money then. But I went to wholesale saying, hey, maybe if I can help an investor find a deal here or there, get 5,000 here, 10,000 here, it'll help That's me get awesome. to where I need to go to. Yeah. Yep. I did that. I met with a couple investors. The one guy that actually kind of changed everything, his name was Edgar Montalvo. He's an Argentinian man. He, uh, he had a contracting company to where if you had to do a renovation or a flip, you'd call him and he'd fix the house for you. Right. But he himself had never did his own flip before. And so he had his own money. He said, you know, I want to stop doing all this work for other people and do it for me. Right. And I said, well, hey, I can help you find a deal that makes sense. Because at that time, I'd understood, you know, you want to find something at 65% right. value, value add in up and coming neighborhoods. I kind of figured that out. Right. So, um, I helped him find something. It was in Orange, New Jersey. It was actually a townhouse. And I believe they were asking, I think, 109000 for it. I got it down to 42 k What? And then I hit him up. I said, Edgar, man, I got them at 42 k I don't know why they're desperate to sell, but, hey, they're ready to sell. We need the EMD. We need you to sign the contract. He signed it within a week, paid cash. We got it. He was ready. So now, you know, he brings in his, his own company, his own team. They start assessing what they're going to tear down, et cetera, et cetera. He gets a family emergency where he has to go to Argentina for three months. Oh, wow. And he's like, yo, toast him. And like, I have something that I have to. It was, it was family stuff. So it was more important than money. He's like, yo, I'm out. But he's like, can you project manage the flip for me and I'll give you more money? I said, of course. Right. Like, why would you say no? I said, of course. Right. So he's like, okay, all my guys, they're going to answer to you. You know what I'm saying? You're going to be the they one. Already knew, they yeah. already knew how to do the job. You just had to make sure all the deadlines were met. Correct. Correct. So it wasn't like, you had to do. 
Yeah, it wasn't like I got to be in there tearing down sheetrock or putting up anything. No, basically just being a manager process monitor. Yeah, I'm being a hall monitor, making sure that y'all on time. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, you know, so so that that gave me my first experience in actually seeing a flip through from acquisition of the property to rehab to listing it and selling it. You know, I got the agent. Uh, we ended up selling it for one hundred and thirty thousand. Uh, we put about 32,000 of work into it. So we came out to about 73 grand total, sold it for uh, one, I think it was 129.5. So not bad. I got a nice chunk of that. It was, it was crazy. That profit margin is really nice. It's beautiful. So, you know, I got a piece of that profit. It wasn't 50%, but I, it, it was fair. It was yeah, healthy. I mean, you were what, 23 at the time? No, I was a little older. I was 25. Either way, a 25-year-old pulling in that kind of cash on a deal is nice. It was. <laughs> Super nice. Yeah, so it kind of just whetted my appetite. And so I really just went into wholesaling, wholesaling mode like another. Yeah, see, I want to, again, another pin I want to put there. So his, his entry to the real estate game was wholesaling. And see, the problem a lot of people have with the whole real estate thing, because I own an Airbnb. So I'm in the real estate game as well, just from a, just on a different, different part of it. Um, but what people don't understand is you have to be willing to do things that the average person isn't willing to do. And that sounds cliche, but the average person doesn't want to wholesale because one is time consuming. You have to really pick and choose and really go and, and find deals. And it takes a lot of time. And then three, then when, once you start to try to find the deals, you got to find the investors. Well, well, you know, everything, everything that every piece of advice that I've gotten as far as breaking into the real estate game is, is, is two things. One, you got to start somewhere. Just start. That's the first thing. Two, if you have the deal, the investors will come. And you did exactly that. You had the deal and then you found the investors. So it made sense because you found somebody. And to be honest with you, that was that relationship was the beginning, but people don't understand, not to say how easy it is, but how doable it is to build those types of relationships. You know, it's, it's, there are so many people out here with $5,000, $10,000, They don't even know what to do with it, especially people like our parents age who have savings, who have been working for a while and just got money chilling but really don't know what to do or they want to get into the real estate game, but they have no knowledge. So what you came to the table with was knowledge and sweat equity. He came to the table with knowledge on how to build and um, the business side and capital side. You put those two together and you got a machine. So I want people to understand, like when you're talking about breaking into the real estate game, it's, it's not saying it's easy, but it's doable but if you set proper expectations, people think that you could just have 207 units like that. It doesn't work like now in the 90s. It's different. It's a different ball game now. So being able to build a real estate portfolio, um, it's going to take a little bit of time. And for people in their 20s, I'm, I'm 29, but people in their 20s, they just want, oh, I own houses. I own this. I'm like, do you know how hard it is? to get multiple properties and to get a, people don't understand you got to get approved for loans. 
you got to be able to get approved for loans. Then you're dealing with interest rates. Then it's like, okay, so do I have capital to put down? Can I find a partner? There are a lot of moving parts to each deal. And so people just think that, oh, I got two, three, four, five houses. Yeah, but the reason why people fail is because they overextend and they over leverage themselves. So if something does go wrong with one of those properties, they can't foot the mortgage on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get what I'm saying? Anyways, so I want you to continue to speak to, to your story about the, the real estate fund because you're getting there. So you, you had the relationship yeah. with the Argentinian man. Kind of tied in. And I kind of like yeah. to give people context so they can see where. Right, right, right. That's important. That's important. Yeah. And so um, basically with, with, with that investor, with Edgar, it, it just came to a situation to where I saw that, you know what? Wholesaling is going to be my way to kind of say, get my capital up. Because I didn't want to buy like two families and three families and stuff like that. Because in the back of my mind, I'm thinking about what my dad did. And so it's like, why would I just want to get a four unit here, four unit here? Well, my dad, man, he had over 200 units. And when I look back at the life he was able to provide for us when he was still with my mother, and I'm like, I don't want anything less than that. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I started wholesaling more. The good thing about wholesaling is that it teaches you almost everything you need to know about the real estate business. Because you, if you, if you look at it from a simple-minded perspective, you're thinking, oh, I'm going to find a house for somebody. I'm going to get it under contract. I'm going to flip the contract. When you look at it from what you're actually learning, you're learning how to find off-market properties. You're learning how to find properties that are value-added, meaning they need a little bit of work so you can get them cheaper. You're finding out the way to talk to owners to get them to sell. You're, you're learning all these skills. You're learning about appraisals. You're learning about getting itemized quotes if you have to get a renovation done. You're learning the entire real estate business at this simple Simon level of just wholesaling. Yep. You know, and so it was kind of like when I started seeing it from all that side, then, you know, being in the New Jersey, New York area, it's big business. There's like funds and, and all Blackstone and Silverstein properties and all these things. So I wanted to start a fund. Back then, this is what, 2000. 13, when I was like, yo, I want to start a fund because I was seeing how, you know, you have all these funds that come in Newark, New Jersey, and they'll buy, you know, damn their entire blocks. Mm-hmm. One false swoop. And so that was what made me want to start a fund. So at that time, while I was still wholesaling, I was, I was probably working with maybe about five main investors. Um, I always wanted to have my investor pool small, but their deal flow high. So I would deal with people that were doing Three, four deals a month, but five of them. That right. That type of volume. So I only have to deal with four or five people. We have a great relationship now. You know, I've, I've brought some deals their way. Like I know their families, their kids. We go out and grab lunch just because, not even to talk about business. And it, I just felt like I was in a really good space for how I was working. Mm-hmm. And then, um, so yeah, I started calling different funds all through New, New York, just calling them, seeing if there was anybody I could talk to anybody I could set up a meeting with, there was anybody who would give me any type of knowledge to no avail, okay? Like, I'm either getting no responses to my emails or people are just saying, no, I don't think there's anybody here that can help you with that. Yeah, and it's difficult to break into a real estate management fund. It's, yeah, it's especially if you're trying to get them to, to tell you what they do. Right, like, right, right, right. Like, who are you, guy? I get off our phone. So, um, but... You know, I, I caught a, ba- a break. I caught a big break. So um, I was on Snapchat one day. And, you know, I used to always record my property walkthroughs of potential wholesale deals on Snapchat and Instagram because yes. I wanted 
people to see that I, I'm in the sphere of real estate. Right. Maybe this big investor, but I wanted to build up that brand of letting people know this is what I do every day. Right. And so um, one day I just started seeing there was this name, this really long name that was followed, that was watching all of my snaps. And I had never seen that name before, but I knew it was a foreigner just because of how long it was. Right. And so it looked, Ital- it looked Italian or something like that. And so this happened for a few days. It was like every snap this person was watching. So I just Googled the name. Turns out this was a managing principal of a real estate fund in New York that manages over $300 million. Wow. And he was like the number two guy. Wow. And so in my mind, I'm looking, I'm like, how the heck does this guy know who I am or know about me? And I, all me. Man, I get that all the time, bro. Doing a podcast, it's like, you look at stats, it's like, how in the world am I being listened to in this state? I don't even know anybody over there. Exactly. <laughs> I'm not sure how my name, how he even knew to follow me. Or I don't know. But I just sent him a message. I'm like, hey, do we know each other? He's like, no. And then he was like, um, I see you in real estate. I said, yes, I am. I said, what do you do? I already know it. <laughs> I've been on the company website. I already know what y'all do. But um. In that message, we didn't even talk over, over, over the phone yet. He sent me his number and he said, why don't you come into my office and I'll explain to you in detail what we do. I said, oh, sure. No problem. Yep. So um, the company's name was The Prodigy Network. Mm-hmm. The Prodigy Network is a real estate fund based in New York. Uh, the original founder is Colombian. Uh, they started the company in Bogota, Colombia. Then they moved it to Miami. They did about $100 million worth of deals in Miami. And then at that time, I think 2014, they decided to make their headquarters in New York and focus on just doing Manhattan. Okay. So I I go into their office. They're in the financial district, 40th floor, the Trump building. And they take me to a conference room and they tell me everything that I need to know about starting a fund, running a fund, raising money, marketing, everything. Wow. Free. For free. Wow. Wow. Never, never charged me a cent. And it was just so easy. He said, come in and I'll tell you everything you want to know. I'll answer all your questions. And I would ask for a job. <laughs> and he let me re- record the meeting as well. So I could have a reference. Oh, wow. I, still, I still have it. So that first meeting, of course, I'm hearing a lot of new terms, a lot of new lingo. I don't know this stuff. Right. But you know, you're going to go back and Google it. Yeah. And so I told him, hey, can I come back here again and bring one of my partners and we can go through this again? He said, sure. One of my partners, he had a little bit of money. He had a little bit of a brand. So I said, okay, I'm going to call him. I'm going to bring him with me. Right. As soon as I leave, I'll call him. I said, hey, bro, you got to be in New York next week, man. Like, bro, you remember the fun stuff I was telling you about? Yo, I got a fund that's going to tell us everything we need to know. He's going to walk us through. So prepare some questions, whatever. So he comes, we have a second meeting, runs us through everything again in detail. And then that was kind of the groundwork for us starting the first fund that I was vice president of and co-founder of, which we were able to raise a significant amount of capital in the first week or so. And then, um, you know, going from then. So prior to that, uh, I started buying property from uh, the city in New Jersey. And so I bought one from the city. I spent less than a thousand dollars. Um, I was going to build a new construction. I was going to build a two family. I went and spent like five grand for architectural drawings. I pay, paid for the meets and bounds, paid for all the, all the stuff that the city, you know, extracts money from you for, yep, yep. <laughs> you know, and make you pay all these fees and all Correct. 
And then when I was looking to actually start building, that's when I found out, like, this is 2015. So I found out, I was like, oh, okay. I need uh, two years of tax returns. I need to get a construction loan. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's when the loan comes in. It's like, ooh, things got tricky. Yeah, and so now it it would be easy because I understand it, but at that time, I wasn't really, you know, it was new. Well, first in, that's something new. Yeah, correct. Everything was new. So it just looked like I was like, man, I don't think I'm going to be able to build this thing. And I'd already made some big promises and, you know, uh, I wanted to do something noble in the beginning. I wanted to, because it was going to be a duplex. So I was going to have a homeless family live in one of the u- u- units. Mm-hmm. And I was going to teach her financial literacy, how to fix her credit, how to get a bank account and get direct deposit. I get secured cards. And I was going to do all that stuff for her for the first year. Right. And after the first year, she would now have what she needs that she would never be homeless again. And she can go do her own thing. Yep. And so I wasn't able to do that. And it, it kind of bothered me because I got her excited, got her family excited. The homeless shelter where I met her at, where I went to go get her, I told them, I said, hey, you know, I'm testing out this type of community give back. And it works, then I'll be able to do this multiple times. And we'll, we'll have another way for the women that you guys get that need to increase. Like, I, I can be a resource to your shelter. And so I wasn't able to do that. So what I did was I just paid the property taxes on, on that property, made sure the grass was cut so I didn't get fines. And then I listed it last year, sold it for 75X when I paid for it. Okay. I did nothing to it at all. And so that was, that was something that I learned is that if you buy in the right neighborhoods and you buy when there's a trend upwards, you don't want to buy somewhere where it's already up. Right. I where the trend is like four or five years away. Yeah. Right. You can, yeah. Yes, exactly. You can go get exactly. things next to nothing. Mm-hmm. And if you do nothing to it four years later, you can sell it for whatever. You, but you sell it for it. Times more than what you pay for. Profit. Yep. 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 And so, um, and so, yeah. So, um, you know, the first fund, it, it, I was a co-founder, but I wasn't the founder. I was vice president of business development. And um, I also did a little deal sourcing as well, finding the deals that we would potentially buy, mm-hmm. just because that was kind of just my wheelhouse. Yeah, I learned that doing wholesaling. Yep. If you tell me, hey, we got to find a deal that has a 14% annual return or a 27% IRR, hold my beer, I'll be right back. Right, <laughs> you know? got you. <laughs> so, and so, um, so yeah, we did that. Um, I guess with the vision of that fund or where they were going, I wanted to focus on a specific city and they wanted to be nationwide, you know, nothing wrong with that. They wanted to buy anywhere where the deals make sense. That's cool. I wanted to focus back on the area where I grew up in. Mm -hmm. I was born and raised in St. Louis, but I grew up a lot in Chicago. Majority of my family is in Chicago. They've been there over 40 years. So I wanted to focus on Chicago because Chicago, it's a black city. It's an up and coming city. Even though it's the third largest city in the country, people still, it still has a bad reputation for being violent. You know, um, Chicago's not really a place where somebody says they want to move to if they're leaving their hometown. You know, they want to go to LA, right. Miami, right. et cetera. And so, um, but I, 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 I live there. I grew up there. I know how beautiful it is. I know how beautiful the waterfront is and the skyline and, and the black neighborhoods that have these really big houses on big lots and, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So um, I wanted to start a fund that primarily focuses on investing and bringing up the values in Chicago's South Side. 
And so that's when in 2019, July 29th, 2019, I formed my own fund, BAP United, Building Acquisition Partners United. And we focus on the south side of Chicago, buying value-add uh, apartment buildings, 25 units and higher, uh, specifically in the south side. Yes. Yeah, I feel that if, if, if we put that value and we put that appreciation and that rebranding into our own neighborhoods and it's owned by people that look like us, yeah, we're going to make a lot of money, but there's certain things, there's certain lines that we won't cross because we know our people live here and this is my home. Right. I can't, this is my neighborhood. This is my backyard. Yep. So there's certain things that we'll do as far as in just keeping integrity and dignity. Mm-hmm. It's not going to necessarily make the people that are there feel like they don't belong. Right, right. Thank you for that, man. I, I really appreciate you like really breaking that down of that whole process. Um, I do want to get get to this topic before we go, though. Sure. Um, your book, Focus on the Fix. How did you go about, you know, how, what inspired the book? Um, what is it about? Obviously, don't give away too many details. But, yeah, yeah. you know, what is it about? And then, you know, how is that? How has it helped you out professionally to be able to be an author? So it, it really starts from all the problems I've been through in my life. Um, keep in mind, you know, when I, when I left, when I left my, my, my parents' house at 14 and I never lived with them again and I was sent to a, another country by myself for all these years, you run into a lot of problems. Mm. You know, people trying to take advantage of you, people knowing you don't speak the language fluently, you're still a kid, people right. you know, not respecting you because you're young. And I always have always ran into problems of, you know, people trying to get over on me or not respecting what I bring to the table. And a lot of times you get upset, you get sad, you get depressed. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like you can be mad, sad, depressed all you want. But if you don't find out a way to fix this, you just going to be here. So it's like, do you want to be sad or do you want to fix the problem? And so that came from focus on the fix that when something happens, okay, yeah, I may be upset right now. I may be in another space, but okay, I got to find out how to fix this because I want this to be over right? so that I can be happy again. You know what I'm saying? So what's the solution? So it's called focus on the fix. When something happens to you, okay, how, how do we fix this? What's the solution? Right. And you Google solutions. You can ask friends for solutions. It's just an information search. Man, I tell people all the time, people that make a lot of money in this, in this world, they get paid to solve very complex problems. And the problems that are very simple, you know, yeah, those are easy. But the reason why people make that money is because they're solving complex problems and they get paid a nice check to do so. So if you have the ability to critically think and solve problems for other people and make other people's lives easier, you got to figure it out. 100%. Even for yourself. Like you got, even even if you know how to fix the problem yourself, like knowledge is power. Like your, your knowledge in real estate from on the base level got you the opportunity. So, you know, Nip, Nip talks about, you know, he says, you know, how, how long before opportunity meets, meets how long does, prep, uh, does it take for preparation to meet opportunity? You know, so you prepare for that moment and then your opportunity came in a, in a, in a sense where you didn't necessarily see that opportunity coming, but you already done the prep work. So the prep work that you did on your own qualified you to walk into somebody's office and say, I understand the basics of this business, but I need to take it to another level. So how do I elevate that? How do I do that? And, you know, your journey, you were blessed enough to be able to run into somebody who essentially was like, look, this is what I do. I'm going to put you on game. And so, you know, people don't really understand that 
every and I, this is the part of believing in a higher power, a higher, higher, just elevated thinking. We are in control of a lot of the parts of our lives. So like you, you determine when you wake up, you determine what you're going to do today. But there are there are things and there are people that you will meet on your journey that you have no idea. And that to me is like the universe conspiring in your favor. That to me is like God saying, look, I'm going to bless you because you worked hard. That's yeah. the, when, when faith meets work ethic. So you have faith that this thing is going to work out. You don't necessarily know how it's going to work out, but on the back end of that, you like, I still got to work. I I can know kind of know where I want to go, but then God just kind of figures everything else out and he puts all these little things into play all because you did what? You disciplined yourself enough to like take that serious. And now somebody saw your good work. You essentially got caught doing a good job. Correct. Correct. You got caught doing a good (laughs) job. People don't understand how powerful it is for somebody to drive down the street and see you walking into the gym. Something as simple as that, but being caught doing a good job, then that instantly says to those people who see you, he's serious about what he's doing and they take you serious. But if you don't take yourself serious, then, and that's, I'm not talking to you. You clearly do that. I'm talking about people who are listening. If you take yourself serious, that automatically will open up doors because people will respect you. They will look at you differently and that you, you're going to start to have different types of conversations. When you started your real estate fund, I guarantee you, you started to have different types of conversations. And you got people like me saying, hey, can you talk about this? We've never met before, but because of your preparation and expertise in the subject matter and my expertise in, in, in podcasting, it's like, okay, how do we come together and make this thing work? So people have to understand when you start to put energy in a certain direction, you're going to get stuff back. You're not going to like everything you get back, but there are, there are going to be good things that do come back that are beneficial. And if you take advantage of those opportunities, sky's the limit. And, and you said something that, it made me smile, man, is that you said when you are prepared for something, then an opportunity comes. And when you are prepared for something, you'll start to see that that opportunity comes many times. So like, I, I'm not really a, a, a fan of when they say opportunity only comes once in a lifetime. Yeah, not opportunity It comes every day, but if you're not prepared for it, you can't take it or you don't even know it's there. Mm-hmm. Like once you master a skill, you'll start seeing that there's opportunities to exercise that skill that are coming all the time as you're out and about doing what you do. Yeah. And so that is something that really, it really helped me to put me at ease knowing that, okay, I, even though I, I'm prepared, I don't always have to get it right on the first time because now I'm, be, I'm trying to become an expert in what I'm prepared for. And that can still take some time. It does. And people don't, people don't let's say it's complicated. And depending on what part of it you're in, it gets more complicated. The more assets you, you manage, mm-hmm. the more complicated it is. Correct. Yeah, I only have one Airbnb, but if I had 10, my time wouldn't be the same. Yep, yep. I said I don't want 10 of them, but at the end of the day, you you have to learn. I'm a master at customer experience because I used to work for um, AT&T. So having that, that customer experience, knowing how to take care of, of customers and know how to sell, know how to close sales, all of that, the hospitality that you get in the retail transition over to Airbnb, how do I make sure that my, my guests have the best experience? What are, what, are, what are some challenges to the property that I own? Well, the location isn't the best. So what does that mean? When they walk inside that, that property, they have to have an experience. How do I create like, oh, wow, this is nice. 
If you ever walk into a hotel or you ever walk into an Airbnb and you walk in, the first thing you you want that guest to be like, damn, this yeah. is nice. Yeah. This is what I paid for. And if <laughs> that experience, you straight. Yep. Mm-hmm. You straight. So I man, I, I enjoy the the wealth of knowledge that that you have. It is it's it's um it's refreshing to see that and just to see that you you really like built that you built this you from the ground up and not saying you're done but you you're you're climbing but you're on an upward trajectory and that's what people don't and I'm on, I'm on on a whole tangent here are you good you good people oftentimes they they don't understand that even if you're at an upward trajectory does not mean that you aren't going down it's just like stocks if you look at apple over the last 5 years they had months where they were down yep. for doing mm-hmm. this. But if you take a wider lens and you look at Apple's stock from the last five years, what has it done? It's uh, gone up. Yeah. It's still gone up. So if you up. exactly, if you keep that perspective that you're going to have some days where, man, I don't feel like looking for deals today. Oh man, this, this didn't close. Shit. I'm pissed off. You know, all of that, all of those emotions that go along with it, but once you stay consistent and you stay at that course, that trajectory is going to go up because you're putting more time, energy, dedication. It's got, it's got to come back. It's got to come back. So that's that's my little spiel on, no, on that. It's that, important. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, for real, man, because people don't they don't put that in perspective. They want it tomorrow. And Correct. It doesn't work that way, man. It just <laughs> I wish it did. I, I, I wish it did, too. I look at it like this, like sometimes. Yeah, there are situations and circumstances that we've heard of where people have just made millions of dollars in a year. It does happen, okay? But is that the way it's going to be for you and your homeboy and your friend and your cousin? Like, we have to put, okay, I hope I get lucky, but during the process of me waiting to get lucky, I'm going to work. Yep. Because by that time, you could have sold 10, 15 houses. Exactly. I'm going to take (laughs) babies. I'm going to start where I am. I'm just going to do little by little and keep moving. Right. If you're lucky along the way. Cool. If I don't, I'm still making progress. I'm, I'm still money. But like, yeah, it, 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 ta- it takes time. And, you know, when you're trying to do something like what I think a lot of us are trying to do is build these huge portfolios, whether it's real estate or stocks or whatever. These are high level skills. These are things that to become an expert, to actually get good at, it takes years. It does. It takes years of, and then years of being serious about it, years of being like Dedicated. in the field with it. Yes. You can see the ins and outs of everything that can happen. That's not a six month journey, you know? Man, if you look at it, I like to compare this, this journey as an investor to professional sports. Mm-hmm. You know, people see these kids at 21, 22 years old, I'm sorry, 18, 19 years old, yeah. making it to the NBA. Like, oh, they're young. And no, 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 no. They've been playing ball. Yeah. They were like eight or nine years old. Some, yeah. some of them younger than that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And relative experience, they may only be 19 years old, but in work, their work experience in their field, they're an expert. They got 12 years. They got 12 they got years. 12 years experience <laughs> of just of just balling, pooping, yeah. whatever. So it's the same thing that people don't necessarily, again, perspective is powerful. So when you compare that same, that same thing, 
you we we graduate or we start working some some of us around our early 20s some some kids a little bit younger depending on you know when you start working but for the most part you don't start getting those serious jobs or career until you're in your your mid 20s around that so you put that you, you add 10 years onto that that puts you at what like 35 Yep. You know, if you add 10 years to that. So you're just now at the 35 mark. I'm not even there yet. You're yeah. just now like, OK, I know what I'm doing. Yes. So, yeah, and people, yeah. people don't people. So at 35, if you dedicate yourself between 25 and 35 or even whatever, whatever span you're at, if you put that in perspective and give yourself those 10 years, the 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 the, the 10x it is is a lot more doable and reachable if you say all right 10 years now what do you have i'm set i got financially i'm good i can go start any other business i want to i can so now you went from wholesaling to real estate fund manager they're not the same you know that was it you went from entry level job to ceo yeah get what i'm saying so that trajectory I i made a small mistake in that journey so in 2016 I bought a sports bar in New York and that thing failed. <laughs> but but then, uh, then I got back on a real estate train. I said, you know what? Let me stick back to what, Let me stick to what I know. And yeah. it's not to even say that you can't do that again, but I yeah. guarantee you, if you went back to a sports bar, you do it better because you failed the first time. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. So you got, it's like, it's like having your bread and butter, having your bread and butter, which is for you, real estate, that's your bread and butter, but mastering that opens up other opportunities for you to even explore because guess what? You losing out on that business didn't crush you to the point of no, no, no return. You still bounce back. You still able to move forward. And that's what people have to understand. You take care of business. That business will open up other avenues for you to explore your other opportunities and other things you want to do. But if you haven't mastered anything, what are you, what are you doing? 100%, which is a, another reason why lately I've been talking about affiliate marketing so much. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a way to generate extra income that can fund what you really want to do. Um, specifically in real estate, or, you know, our main business is buying properties. When you buy properties, you need down payments. <laughs> and so, you know, if you're trying to do two, three, four deals a month and you're a new fund and you don't really have a lot of investor capital, then where are you going to get this money from? Yep. And so you have That's to- Everybody's of, biggest concern. Where do I get the money? Where's the cash coming from? And so you have to find ways that are not going to stress you out or take too much of your time away from your core business to where you can generate income so that you can still make baby steps while you're waiting for that huge investor check to come in from wherever it may come from. Because you don't really know. You know, I wake up, I, I do my Zoom pitches, you know, for the people that are vocal in, in Miami, I'll go to their offices, I'll do my presentations, but I'm not going in there thinking I'm walking out with the check. It's like, I don't know. I'm just shooting the shot and then turning away. And then if right. somebody calls back and say that they want more information and that they want to move forward with the term sheet, okay, cool. But 90% of the time that doesn't happen. Right. So I'm not just going to be sitting there waiting. So affiliate marketing kind of, you know, generates that extra income to where it can supplement the time on your waiting to maybe gain more investor investor confidence. People know you're a new fund, you're investing in a city that nobody likes. It's going to be a harder it's going to be a harder sell. Harder sell, but just like with you starting on the wholesale side, you got to start on this side as well. So 5 years from now, you're not going to have the same issue. Sure, for sure. Because you already you've already built one thing, so you know how, you know the process of yeah. building. You understand how what it takes to build something. 
And I think that's that if you've never built anything and you, I mean, from scratch, like organic, if you've never built something like it's very hard for, for people that who've never done that to conceptualize the work it's going to take to really get to a, to a level where you're like, all right, I can coast. And when I say coast, you're dealing with different problems. You may not be dealing with that day-to-day stuff, but you're more dealing with strategy. And now you can kind of, you ain't got to work 12 hour, 14 hour days all the time. Now you got time to go hang out with, with the wife, with the kids. You got time to go to the beach, go on vacations, just go out, period. So yeah, it's, it's about that, that again, upward trajectory. Um, I want to, I want to pivot over to our Econics 10. I have 10 questions I want to ask you and I'm gonna let you go. I know you got more deals to close. <laughs> so, um, the first question I want to ask you is what would you title this chapter in your life? Wow. That is a really, really, really good question. Cause I have to think about that. Um, I, I don't know if I can come up with an exact title, but I can kind of describe. The I'm cool with that. Yep. I'll say this point in my life is me switching over to understanding how to manage and maintain my life as running a conglomerate as opposed to being a business owner, which is what I was for the last five, six years. Mm-hmm. Now I was a business owner. I had one or two things, but now there's multiple companies that are all working in tandem under the same umbrella and learning how to manage all that and then still maintain my family life. You know, I, I still, you know, talk to my mother on a regular basis. I have five, uh, sorry, I have four younger brothers. Uh, I have nieces and nephews all around the country. So it's like I'm being more present in my family life. And so I'm really learning how to, I'm not going to say juggle because I believe they can all exist without you having to do this whole whatever. But uh, I'm really learning how to live the way life is now. He's intended to be. Yeah. And so that is, uh, it's a learning curve because the first, you know, from since I was 20 years old, it was just hustle, 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 hustle. You didn't work, 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 work. work. That's all I can do is work, work, work. No other responsibility. Everybody understands, hey, he's 22, he's 23. He's trying to get his life together. He, and you just work. But then when you get older, you know, I'm 35 now. Mm-hmm. You know, work's not the most important thing to me anymore. Right. And, you know, I've gotten to that point, too. And we'll get to the rest of these questions. I just, this is so important to talk about that. As I've crossed, I'm, I'm, I'm turned 30 next week. So I'm, I'm pretty much there. But as I'm crossing over into just getting just a little bit older, where I'm understanding how life kind of works my values change at 20, 21, 22 years old. If you ask me, would I be back in Florida? I'm like, nah, I'm not coming back home. I'm not coming back here. But, you know, almost 10 years later, it's like, I need to spend time with my mom. I need to spend time with my sister and my auntie. I need to spend time with, with my dog. You know, I got, I got pet fish, you know, back here, my man back here chilling, but you know, I, I, you want to, you want to be able to explore and, and invest and nurture those relationships that you somewhat missed out on because you so in grind mode and you just talk, talk, oh, grind, 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 grind. When your loved ones are looking like, well, damn, you just forgot about me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, that's it's super important. So um, anyway, number two, what superpower would you have? Invisible. I like that one. Number three. What would you invest in right now if money was not an issue? 
if money was not an issue right now, so like if I had like a hundred million dollars, just dump somewhere, anywhere. I think I would buy a hundred million dollars of Ethereum and sit back for four years and then cash it in in 2025. The whole million? The whole hundred million? Yeah. Ethereum, Ethereum is doing a lot. There's a lot of other platforms. There's a Ethereum layer two where a lot of other technologies yeah. and cryptos are being built. Yeah, Ethereum is a pretty dope crypto. And that's a whole nother podcast. But like yeah, that, yeah. as far as right now, and blockchain technology and how Ethereum works. And yeah, yeah uh, Ethereum is solid. Yeah, if I was going to take, take an Elon Musk bet and just throw the whole hundred million into something, <laughs> yep. I, I think I'd do it in Ethereum because I think it's going to, I think it may overtake Bitcoin as far as having more uses, not necessarily value. Not value, but uses. Well, I mean, use is value, but I get what you're saying, like Bitcoin might just be the currency, like the Dow Jones of the cryptocurrency. But the technology that a lot of these payment systems and merchant services are using, they're going to involve Ethereum and Ethereum layer two applications. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That I think that would I think that'd be a multi-billion dollar play <laughs> if I had a hundred million to dump into something. Slide it. <laughs> um, number four, if you weren't doing this, what would your other profession be? Music. Music. Okay. I like that. I, start, I had a chapter in my life where I was a rapper, man. I got I got some songs with three six mafia and some other mm. people. With three six mom? With three six I got some songs with some stuff. I got some I got another chapter in my life, man, when I was a musician. Dog, you need to drop that. That's important. That's yeah. important. Hey, you got a song with Three Six Mafia? That's yeah. that's probably, you know what? One of the probably, questions is something probably. that the average person doesn't know about you. That's probably that. Like that you have songs with well, everybody I went to college with knows because that was when I was a functioning musician when I was shooting videos and going on TV and doing radio interviews and stuff like that. So like everybody from college. Yeah, but after that college area, people yeah. really don't. Yeah, I feel that. Entrepreneurship full time. Yeah, number five, five dinner guests dead or alive. Five what? Dinner guests dead or alive. Five dinner guests dead or alive. Oh wow. Okay, so uh, Reginald F. Lewis. Okay. Uh, sure, if you're familiar with him, he was the first African American to do a a one billion dollar leverage. Just buy out in like the eighties, the late eighties. Okay. Um, Donahue Peoples, Donahue Peoples, he's still alive. He's actually building the tallest building in LA right now. I think they're like eighty percent done. Okay. Uh, I would want Robert F. Smith. He's uh, he's a fund manager of a. It's he. It's based in Texas. I forget what they raise money for. Yeah, he paid off everybody. The biggest uh, black. He paid everybody's loans off at Morehouse. Him. Yeah, I, I went to Morehouse, mm-hmm. but yeah. I had already graduated, so I didn't get none of that money. I wish. Uh, that's would have been nice to get that. Yeah, money. <laughs> that would been dope. Yeah, it would have. So now, so I'd say three. Um, I'll say. There's uh I forget this guy's name, but the he's like the the royal prince of the Saudi family. 
Okay. And I think he manages he manages their their oil company called Aramco. Okay. And so the, because the way that the, the rumors they've been saying about the real the true valuation of that company and how he's hiding it for the for the sake of the country, mm-hmm. like, I'd like to know like how, how he's doing how it. you go up against the world right. and win, you know? Yeah. And then last but not least, my grandfather, because I'd want him to see what his grandson is up to. There you go. I like that. That sounds like something I would say. Um, number six, your celebrity crush. I don't really have one. Okay. I don't know. I mean, I really, yeah, uh, I mean, it's some, it's some baddies. It's celebrity that I admire. Uh, I admire, um, celebrity. I'm weird, man. Like the celebrities I admire in real estate, like there's an agent named Ryan Serhant. Mm-hmm. He just sold a $104 million house. And I, I was thinking like the commission on that, the 3% commission on that is sick. Stupid. So it's like, Stupid. That's, that's ridiculous. Yeah. That's I feel like, that. $3 for selling a house. That's right. your commission. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I, I admire, you know, I admire other entrepreneurs that just do that. some wild yeah, outlandish man. ass shit yeah, and nah, pull it off. I'm just like, yo, salute. Like, <laughs> you root for him. Damn, yeah. that was a cold. Yeah, I'm like, Ooh. y'all yeah. winning. <laughs> um, number seven. Number seven would be something that the average person wouldn't know about you. Uh, besides the music thing, um, yeah. average someone wouldn't know about me. I oh, I have an extreme case of OCD. Okay, all right. I'm, I'm yeah, I had it since extreme case. Yeah, so my OCD, it's not like the organizing. It's all mental. So, like, I count. Mm-hmm. So anything that has any type of symmetry, nonstop throughout the entire day for my whole life since I was 12, I count sides. I count anything that's even numbers. Like, I counted your eyelashes and your eyebrows and the symmetry of your beard mm-hmm. almost 20 times since I've been on this thing. Wow. And so it's just... No. Yeah, to them to like my eyes just go to any anywhere where there's yeah, even numbers or this. Yeah, and I I count so like my my mom knows about that because back when I was a kid there was a doctor that wanted to put me on some medication mm-hmm. and my mom asked she said do you want it do you want to take the medication or do you not and I said no she's like all right then I'm gonna take it yeah same thing so, yeah. my mom did the same thing to me she she was like no I'm not putting I'm not having she didn't give me a choice she told me no <laughs> um your biggest pet peeve. My biggest pet peeve. Uh, I, I'll say is people who don't do what they say they're going to say, um, what they say they're going to do intentionally. Yep. If, uh, yeah. You know, people make mistakes. Hey, you know, I had to change. Okay, I, I understand that. But for people that, you know, they'll say certain things, make certain commitments or promises, knowing that they're not going to follow through, especially when, you know, we're all invested in something. Mm-hmm. then that's a big pet peeve of mine because that's it's like right. you're that's playing really. with people's time. Number nine, what is the craziest real estate story you have? Whether it's a bad tenant, whether it's a great deal you close, but one of the craziest deals or experiences in real estate. Oh, uh, yeah. So there was a house I was trying to wholesale in Bloomfield, New Jersey. 
And when I called the, when I got the owner on the phone and told him I was, I was going to come by and check out the house, he's like, yeah, sure. But uh, he says, I'm going to let you know I have a gun over here. And I was like, yeah, you know, can we reschedule? I'm, like, I'm not even going. I'm like, fuck you in the house. Yeah. Like, what you telling me that for? And he sounded he saw like an older white guy. And he's like, I have a gun over here. I'm like, like almost threatening you. You came yeah, up. Like, yeah. And I was like, nah, I ain't going, bro. You keep that house. Yeah. <laughs> so that was, I guess, off the top of my head. That's one crazy. of the craziest things for somebody that I'm trying to put money in your hand and buy your house over market yeah. value. And you're telling me you have a gun in your house because I'm coming. I'm like, I'm good. Crazy. Yeah, man. That's why he sold it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, number 10, your most embarrassing moment. Ooh. Most embarrassing moment. Oh, yeah. So my most embarrassing moment was when I was caught up in a legal situation that I was not guilty for. And they, they dragged my reputation. And until I had to go through the courts to where the courts was like, hey, He's not guilty and took everything off. That period, that time period was very embarrassing because you got to walk with that. Yeah. And while, while people are thinking, ooh. Right. And right. It's, that was very, very embarrassing. And that was from when I was like 21. And it lasted a few years. It lasted about five or six years before wow. yeah. I went the entire situation, got everything thrown out and redeemed. So That's yeah, that, I'm glad you got it taken care of. Yeah. Um, that's it, man. That's all I got for you today, man. I just want to thank you for, for being a, a dope ass guest, man. You gave us a lot of knowledge and, um, just value on, you know, the whole real estate game and just the wholesale experience up into your whole journey into running your own real estate fund. So thank you. Um, what I do want to ask of you is tell everybody where they can find you. Um, I'm not sure if you're looking for investors, but if you're looking for investors, um, you know, tell them where they can find you so they can invest with you, all of that. Sure. So yeah, right now we are definitely looking for investors. Uh, the website is bapunited.com. B is in boy, A is in apple, P is in purple, united.com. Um, it is open for accredited investors only at this time, but uh, the things that we will be doing in Chicago will be great. Now is a, a wonderful time to buy in Chicago. And our, our main goal is to snatch up as many cash flowing multifamilies as we can over the next year to 18 months. Um, as far as finding me on Instagram, my Instagram is Tosin underscore Oduwale. That's T-O-S-I-N underscore O-D-U-W-O-L-E. And I do have an affiliate marketing guide where I run you through in 11 easy steps how to get started with affiliate marketing and begin making income within your first week. Uh, you can find that guide at afmriches.com. That's a f mriches.com. Thank you. So what I will do for you guys, I will put all of those links in the show notes. So that way you just go on a note, click the link and you got his access, you got access to him. So um, that's the last thing I have, man. Tosin, thank you so much for coming. You guys have a good one and we out. Peace.